I have found that the best way to ensure I can continue to make a living uh, being an actor is to diversify. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And in episode 298, Trevor sits down for the first part of a two-part conversation with Katie Von Till, an actress, producer, and the fourth ever woman in history to lend her voice to the iconic Disney character Snow White. This interview series is one for the books. In part one, Katie shares all about her early years doing regional theater and various thrival jobs in NYC, uh, what she'd do differently if she could start all over again, how and why she diversifies her income and career opportunities. That's always a big one for us actors, huh? Uh, how she uses spreadsheets to meticulously track her career and income, and how it's helped her claim tens of thousands of dollars in quote-unquote lost payments. Her number one life hack for surviving and thriving as an artist and a bunch more. Wow, what a packed episode. It's all coming at you right now in episode 298. Let's do this. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal. Guys, you know this app. It's essential. If you don't have it yet, what are you waiting for? Or maybe you have an Android phone. If you do, sorry about that. But, you know, get an iPad or something. It's it's totally worth it. This app is available right now in the iOS App Store. If you want to learn your lines, if you want to be off book for your auditions, if you want to explore your character, make stronger choices, book the office, book the room, nail your auditions every time, just really beef up your confidence with your auditions and do a whole lot more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now and learn all about the cool stuff you can do with this app. It will be your go-to app every time you get a new piece of copy or text or whatever it is that you're doing for your voiceover career, your acting career, your stage career, anything at all, this app is a must-have. It's a groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors, and you are going to love it. Check it out, rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey, Trev, uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to this interview, but based on that intro, I am stoked. I think the only other person who's nerdy enough to use uh, spreadsheets and stuff like that, besides maybe the two of us and Katie, is uh, Ben Whitehair, and he's uh, he's had he's done uh, he's done well for himself. He's had uh, he's had a good uh, a good run for himself. So I, I'm excited about all of this. What a list! It's pretty cool, man. This really is an interview for the books. This is going to be one of those interview series that we constantly reference and talk about and refer people back to uh, because Katie's. She just has a business sense about her and a, an attention to detail and a commitment to the craft that's not too rigid. You know, there's a playfulness with her, but she just gets it, man. I mean, I'm not surprised she's having so much success and uh, she shares it all in this interview series. So so get ready for that. That is coming up. We do have a few things to, to, discuss, to just I try to say discuss and share at the same time. And I said discuss or discuss share or Whatever that word tried to be. Uh, guys, we have a, a 300th 
episode party coming up on December 11th at 7 p.m. here in Los Angeles. So if you're listening to this show and it's not December 11th yet, you are invited to join us at the parlor in Hollywood. It's on Melrose. Is that? I asked you this last time and I can't remember what you yes. said. Yeah, it's and on Melrose. Yes. <laughs> you said yes. It's on Melrose again, December 11th, 7 p.m. Everyone's invited. There's no fee or anything like that. We're going to have lots of cool stuff going on there uh, that we're going to be posting more about on our social media and our newsletter. We're going to be talking about it on uh, the next two episodes of the podcast. So come check it out. Join us. Have some fun. Uh, buy some food. Buy some drinks. Uh, fraternize and connect with your peers and other listeners here in LA on Monday, December 11th at 7 p.m. It's going to be awesome. So seriously, if you're listening, hop in your calendar app right now and just, just book that night. Book that date. Just black it out and say, I'm busy that night. I'm going to the IAP 300 party because we really want to see everybody there. It's, it's such a joy to meet people. In the past couple times we've done this, we've done this two other times, it's been so freaking cool man so many cool photos and and meetings and serendipitous connections people end up working together and making films and all sorts of cool stuff happens at these at these parties so so check it out monday december 11th 7 p.m at the parlor here in los angeles be there bring your friends is what i was gonna say just uh come one come all yeah yeah, there's, there's, you don't have to even listen to the show or even like the show or even like us. Come anyway and just drink. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's gonna <laughs> just be a good hang time. out. Just yeah. hang out. No, you're right. It's, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of uh, industry events and uh, I'm going to use the N word here, networking events, you know, around town. But, uh, we, you know, we have a, di- a slightly different philosophy. We like to think we bring together other people from the community that also have a different philosophy. Hopefully, hopefully there will be no whackters handing out business cards without first, at least first, uh, creating some kind of relationship. So, uh, yeah, bring your friends. Introduce them to uh, the LA LA theater, actor, uh, uh, film and television podcasting community, uh, and the IAP community. It's going to be a good time. Also, we want to just point some eyeballs and ears to the membership for this episode because Allie, who has been so active and so generous and so thoughtful, uh, sharing her career and her journey and her favorite resources and tools in the membership, she's sharing, uh, or this past week, she shared a new tool that she's been using called Airtable. Speaking of spreadsheets, this is a free spreadsheet tool that's a little bit above and beyond Google Sheets or Excel or something like that. Um, and you'll have to check out the post to see how and why, but she's using this, this new tool and it's totally free. Uh, she's using it to manage her career and she's managing everything from industry contact information to scheduling social media posts to her auditions to her to-do lists to classes and workshops. Basically everything about her career she's now managing in this really multi-layered um, but not terribly... Uh, intimidating digital tool and she has screenshots and everything in this post so check it out the link to the uh, the thread in the membership is on our website so if you are a member of the podcast just click on the link in the show notes for this episode and it'll take you right over to that thread it, it looks really cool and um yeah man spreadsheets just might be the future they just might it sounds like more nerd stuff yeah man for the nerdly among us yeah so uh, you had a big meeting today, I think, right? Yes, I uh, hinted at this in the last episode, and now that it is over and I can breathe and I'm not feeling so uh, anxious about it, um, I had my third meeting for and my first in-person, first ever in-person meeting for 
uh, Hamilton, an American musical. Yes. Uh, and this time it was... Uh, to audition for both uh, Washington, which I've auditioned for before, and Hamilton. Wow. Uh, the titular role. Um, yeah, it was a ton of material. And um, <clears throat> it was for future replacements for all uh, what is now three productions, the tour, uh, the sit in Chicago, and, uh, of course, Broadway. Um, really exciting to finally get a chance to do it in person. As opposed to putting myself on tape, uh, ironically, I was battling a sinus infection all week. So, I and I say ironically because the last time I had an audition for Hamilton uh, on tape, I was sick as well, and I didn't even submit the tape because I remember that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think I mentioned it on the show. So anyway, uh, I don't know the 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 sort of um, Hamilton gods, the musical theater gods, the sinus infection gods or demons uh just don't they have it in for me apparently so um that was challenging and and kind of frustrating but i got through it um they had me do all of the material that they requested of me so i i'm gonna take that as a good sign but it was very very fast and i'm not talking about because it's rap um there were six different pieces three for each character and it was like boom 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 like one right after the other uh the casting director or associate or assistant whoever was behind the table was like okay let's now let's do this okay now let's do this okay uh great that was great let's do this okay great uh let's switch to the washington stuff let's go ahead and do this okay now let's do this all right let's do this so it was just like one right after the other after the other after the other i actually slowed things down a little bit by like having a bottle of water in the room and I went over and like took a sip after like the fourth song or something like that. So, um, just a good reminder to kind of take your time and breathe in the room. But, um, I was just really exciting. And, um, you know, like I said, I wasn't sharing it before cause I wanted to just keep the energy sort of in close to myself. But now that it's over, I can kind of, there's a bit of a, a sigh of relief and I can feel, I feel better about talking about it. Uh, that is really cool, man. So I have to ask, when you got into the room and they're just rifling through these pieces that you prepared, how did you handle that? Um, just said yes uh, the whole time and was very, very prepared. Um, I mean, yes, I love the musical and I am uh, could probably sing the entire thing start to finish by myself and all of that stuff. But just to be like really ready for all of it. And that's kind of it's funny. That's how I rehearsed it. Uh, in my, you know, bedroom or whatever, like singing to a wall kind of thing. Uh, I just did one thing after another, after another, after another. So, um, I guess I was ready for it. So be, be, be ready. So you don't have to get ready. Um, thank you, Will Smith. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, just slowing things down, taking your breath and like, you know, not feeling like I had to jump right into the next thing just because they asked for it. Uh, so I'd walk, I walked over and I took a, you know, sip and, um, at the end of it all, it's funny. Like I kind of, I I made a joke of it, but the guy, uh, the casting associate was like, uh, you, you sounded great. Uh, that's all we need for, uh, for today. And like, um, I kind of chuckled and then he was like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of material. I was like, Oh, that's all, that's all you needed for today. So, uh, you know, kind of, (laughs) Made light of it a little bit, but yeah. it was it was a lot. Wow. It sounds like a great exercise in learning to own the room. 
Yeah, well, that's why. I, I, like I said, it's a it's a great reminder for anybody out there who, you know, if you have a lot of material and it's all you know happening sort of breakneck most of the time. I mean, I get that they're in a hurry and that's why they're doing it, but most of the time they can let they will let you sort of take your time, get reset, you know, that kind of thing. I I, I will say that it's better to do that to sort of take your time and deliver a great product than 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 to rush it and not hmm. you know yeah. and and most of the time they're very respectful of that the one thing that you don't want to do we talked about this in college i remember in like a it was either in a audition technique class or a musical theater audition technique class or something like that the one thing you don't want to do is stand up is like do your preparation in front of them like stand up and either do like lip trills like or or like close your eyes and <laughs> like, like straight out of like a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't want to stand there and do all your preparation, even if it's not like I don't mean warming up, but like taking a deep breath and closing your eyes and like getting centered and all this stuff. And the joke that we made in college when we went over this is if you do that, when you open your eyes to deliver that line, to deliver that song, to deliver that scene, you better be fucking amazing. <laughs> Like, if you took all this time from them to, like, get centered and grounded and prepared and stuff, and then you open your mouth or you start your scene or whatever, and you suck, they're, you're, they're going to write you off so fast. <laughs> so fast. So, just something to keep in mind. But, you know, after four songs of a lot of rap, I needed a sip of water. So, I took a sip of water. That's all. Um you know, uh, anyway, no, no one in the show, you know, even though there's a ton of material in that show, no one does that in the show. No one does six songs back to back to back to back to back to back, um, of straight rapping there. There are, you know, group numbers and people jumping in and, and a solo is not followed by another solo of the same character. So no one, no one's doing that on stage. It's not a, it's not a test of your stamina. Um, you know, it might be, but I'm going to take a sip of water. That's all. Mm. Anyway, I'm, I'm done. Well, if you could uh, coach, uh, like if if another actor came to you and said, "Hey, man, I got this big audition, and uh, you know, I I think they're gonna want to cram everything into like a five minute, you know, appointment," what what advice would you offer them based on this experience? Um, breathe, be super prepared, and you know, don't don't be afraid to to take your moment, take a minute, hmm. grab a sip of water, breathe, you know, whatever. You don't want, you don't want to, you know, it's not about taking time. I wouldn't ask for it either. I wouldn't say like, can you give me a minute? Cause they don't know what a minute is to you. Your minute could be different from their minute. Don't ask for it. Just take it, but don't make it long. Maybe five, ten. I just literally walked over to the wall, picked up my water bottle, took a sip and set it back down. That was it. Just to give me a chance to reset. Um, not only physically, but mentally. Hmm. Awesome, man. And how, just overall, uh, walking out of the room, and now that you've had a little bit of perspective on it for a few hours at least, how do you feel about the work you did? It felt good. I mean, like I said, I was battling, um, you know, some sickness, but um, overall, it felt good. I probably only stumbled, and by stumbled, I mean just kind of slurred uh, a word or two, um, you know, like, like maybe twice during the audition, and I what I said to Jasmine when I got home was I felt like it was uh, good enough for a callback and I think that's going to depend a lot on who else they see I can see you in that in that show and it, it, it's not any stretch of my imagination to see you on stage in that show oh, thank you buddy mm-hmm.
Uh, well, we have a, uh, a listener question we want to get to in this episode. Uh, but before we do, of course, we got to hear from our sponsor, our other sponsor, VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you Yes, you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. And I was talking to David recently about VO to GoGo and um, some more awesome information coming your way soon, guys. So keep an eye out. Uh, it's going to be some really exciting things uh, in the voiceover world, this, the VO to GoGo voiceover world coming at you shortly. Uh, so if you're interested in voiceover and you haven't quite, you know, had the, had the, um, Time, excuse, whatever it is to, to dip your toes into that world, uh, be on the lookout. Now might be the time. So we have a, a question from Michelle that we actually responded to in the last episode, and then I made an executive decision and, and kind of cut our response for a number of reasons, uh, mostly because of timing and flow and momentum and all that stuff. But we wanted to be sure we gave some airtime to this because this is something we haven't talked about terribly in, in depth in this on this show. And Michelle asks us personally kind of what our thoughts are uh, and, and what our practices are uh, around this as well. So Michelle writes in and says she has a personal question. In this extremely appearance-based business, how do you guys eat without shame? Now, maybe it's because I'm a woman, Michelle says, but I find myself worrying about gaining weight and being useless as an actor. Obviously, your weight does not define who you are, but I have it stuck somewhere in my head that it does. So she asks us, how do you two personally eat, and are there any tips you have for eating like a normal human being? Hmm. So first off, uh, I just want to applaud and thank Michelle for writing in with something that is uh, a sensitive, hot-button, personal uh deeply emotional issue these these the relationship we have with our body and with the food we put into it is as i've said before in the show possibly the most intimate relationship we have in our lives i mean it doesn't get much more intimate than choosing what you're going to put into your physical mouth and chew and swallow on a day-to-day basis so it's a big deal and in this business that that conversation that inner and outer conversation is really heightened so this is not an easy thing to talk about for a lot of people. And uh, Michelle even uses the word shame. How do you guys eat without shame? She uses words like being useless as an actor. And, you know, how do you eat like a normal human being? So it's telling um, how um, deeply this conversation can infiltrate into a, a person's journey uh, and, and you know, perhaps inform them in less than empowering ways. So definitely wanted to give this some airtime and definitely want to thank you, Michelle, for sharing yourself this way, opening up this conversation and, and putting yourself out there um, by, by initiating this. Really appreciate it. It's no small thing that you've, that you've done by asking this question. So thank you. Thank you from all of us, all of us uh, in the IAP community. I responded to Michelle with a pretty lengthy response um but i wanted to toss it over to you aj before before i i and i'm gonna try and restrain myself from rambling but before i go on into that uh and just see what your thoughts are right off the bat 
Well, I mean, your response, it's so good. We could really just have you, you know, read it verbatim because it covered all the bases and everything that I would cover. I think what I said last week was because it's such a challenging issue to talk about, um, I did my best to sort of break it down into two um, two sort of buckets. And, and you even mentioned it, Trevor. There's sort of like the inner and outer um, uh, bucket of this of this of this issue. So. For instance, there is, uh, when it comes to eating, there is uh, the physical act, the thing you're actually, you know, what it is that you're putting into your body, the actual food itself. So there's the conversation about the actual sustenance or nutrition. Uh, and then there's the conver- the inner game, the conversation about the emotional uh, uh, attachments that we have to uh, food, to body image, etc. And so I think in your email too, Trev, in response to Michelle, you did cover both of these things and, and did it in, in depth and, and really, really well. Um, so uh, for me, I, you know, I'll try to be uh, brief in talking about these two areas, although it's such a big can of worms. Uh, when it comes to the food, uh, you know, I, I was talking to you before, Trev, and saying that like when we went on our uh, camping trip up to Yosemite earlier in the, in the summer, uh, we brought along you. You had brought along a few episodes of, of uh, various podcasts to listen to, and we were listening to one with the uh, unfortunately now former CEO of Whole Foods, um, <clears throat> quoting uh, someone else. I can't remember who you said it was. Saying, you know, eat um, Whole Foods, meaning not from a box or, or you know processed in any sort of way. Eat Whole Foods, um, mostly plant based, um, not too much. Yeah, it's Michael Pollan. That's his his whole sort of philosophy, and I subscribe to that a hundred percent. It's so great. It's just so it's so simple, right? It's so simple. It's easy to follow, and it's and it and the thing is, is like, and you mentioned Tessie Tracy's uh, interview in in your response to Michelle, but in that interview, she really points out that it's the, different diets work for different people, and I don't mean diet as in like a fad diet. I mean in, in terms of what you eat. <clears throat> different food affects people differently and so everybody's going to be it's going to be a personal issue for everyone everyone's you know how you eat is going to um uh, be different and 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 how it affects you and what works for you and what doesn't work for you but the thing that i love about that is it's so simple it can kind of be universally applicable you know eat mostly eat whole foods mostly plant based not too much like i mean that's just so I, I, ever since I heard that, Trevor, I I think about that every time I eat uh, when I'm when I'm making my sort of food choices. Every time I eat or shop uh, for groceries and that kind of thing. So that 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 really helped in terms of the actual food side of this. Now, as far as the inner game goes, as far as the the shame goes, that's huge. And and you pointed out, Trevor, the, even the language that um, she's using around this is telling. Um, and it's important to really take a look at where that's coming from. Um, for most of us, it has to do with either what, um, a parent or someone else, uh, told us as a child or, um, society and the pressures that, um, uh, for both women and men. And you do mention that it's, it doesn't just affect, uh, women in, in your response, Trevor, both women and men, uh, experience based on, you know, the, the signals that we're getting from from society, magazines, media, etc. That is 
something that should definitely be explored. And, and there's a whole range here, a whole spectrum, but, but some people do spend time in therapy, in some kind of, um, maybe even an inpatient program or something if they're really suffering from some kind of eating disorder, working to um, uh, support themselves in, in shifting their mindset around this. Um, and I feel like that has less to do with the food choices, Michelle, and more to do with what's going on um, uh, inside and around body image and around self-image. Um, and that's something to be explored sort of all on its own. Um, and I think that if we are committed to working on ourselves and, and making positive, making a positive impact in our own lives, getting underneath a conversation like that and, and tackling it and breaking through it is um, ultimately more important than, than, than the food. Um, because once you break through that, hopefully you're, you're making better uh, food choices anyway. Um, so that, that's, that was just the way I could sort of break it down and compartmentalize it. But we could spend hours, and we did. We had you know, Tessie come on the show. We could spend multi-episodes talking about this. So, um, Trev, I know you have a lot to say on the, the matter because of all the research and sort of, for lack of a better term, self-experiments that you've done <laughs> over your lifetime. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, any gaps you know, that you want to fill in here, um, please, please, please do. Well, uh, wow. I mean, you, you just said so much so well that, uh, I, I, I almost hesitate to add anything cause I feel like it would just be extraneous, but I do want to hone in on, on what you did when you, what you said, when you quoted Michael Pollan, which is eat whole foods, real food, you know, stuff again, like you said, that is not come packaged or, uh, is for the most part not processed. Uh, eat mostly plants and not too much. And really, that's what it comes down to for all the hours and books and documentaries and self-experimentations I've done. Uh, what I've come down to is just like a couple things that I just practice. And it's kind of like, you know, it's it really it comes down to what Michael Pollan said and what you now follow as well, AJ, which is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, there's a mountain of science and it grows every day, uh, as to what it is that causes weight gain. If we're just talking about the, the sort of weight gain and, and health issues uh, of this for now, there's a mountain of science on that. And, you know, it's very difficult to overeat on whole ba plant-based foods. It's just, it just is. They're just packed with so many nutrients and so much fiber that your body is just satisfied. So if you center your diet around that, you're, you're good. And if, and really it's, it's calories in calories out. I mean, not all calories are created equal. I get that. So if you eat, you know, 3000 calories of cake, that's a lot different than eating 3000 calories of rice and beans. So they're going to affect your body differently. But at the end of the day, that's a great sort of measurement to go by. And I'm reminded of this Zen saying that Brad Pilon, who is a guy I'd, I'd actually love to get on the podcast for conversations like this. But uh, it's a saying that he quoted in one of his ebooks that I read. And uh, it's a saying, it's an old Zen saying. And the saying goes something like this. It's like, before I studied Zen... Mountains were mountains, trees were trees, and rivers were rivers. While I was studying Zen, mountains were no longer mountains. Trees were no longer trees, and rivers were no longer rivers. And then after studying Zen, after I became enlightened, mountains were once again mountains, 
trees were once again trees, rivers were once again rivers. And he basically realized after all these years in the supplement industry and learning about health and nutrition, he realized that it's the same way with nutrition. Like at the end of the day, for all the things you learn about how this hormone is affected by this supplement or this pill or this, you know, uh, you know, macronutrient or whatever, like at the end of the day, it's like, it really is not complicated. So when it comes to that, um, I don't, I hesitate to prescribe anything on this show. Uh, you guys know how I feel about animal agriculture and climate change and how I think that the, our dietary choices have a massive impact, uh, on the planet and on the well-being and, um, uh, just the moral stuff, you know, when it comes to animals. So I don't need to preach about that, but, um, I, I do want to just sort of hone in on that, that, that if you stick to mostly plant foods and you just, you know, manage your portions and, you know, maybe make a practice of maybe not eating after the sun sets or, you know, drinking more tea and water and things like that, you'll, you'll be okay. As, as long as you're not eating, you know, just a ton of crap. Now where a lot of people fall off the wagon and do, you know, fall victim to eating a ton of crap is when it comes to the emotional relationship they have with themselves and with food. And that's a big, deep issue. Like you said, AJ, that's a tough one to unpack because it's so personal and so deep, so deeply intergrained. So many people are raised in our culture with, um, really difficult to overcome beliefs installed in them uh and they're conditioned by the media by the images that were fed on billboards and on tv and in commercials and by kids who can be so cruel to one another at this really formative uh time in their lives and parents who maybe uh have less than you know encouraging things to tell their kids or parents that are very encouraging but don't practice what they preach and set a bad example uh, I am really, really extremely blessed in that my parents always fostered a healthy lifestyle. I pretty much played sports from age eight or even younger, even all the way through now. I still compete and swim with a, a team out here five or six times a week. So uh, I'm very blessed that way. And I, I think if I were to sort of offer any sort of guidance to anybody, uh, I would definitely acknowledge that that there's a lot of conflicting information out there, but the best thing you can do is just cultivate your own curiosity, read as widely as you can watch as many documentaries as you can. If you want to get a handle on the physical side of food and how it affects our bodies and what our bodies are designed to efficiently digest and assimilate and what they're not so efficiently digest <laughs> designed to digest and assimilate. And also, you know, where the money comes from and why we're told certain things about what we're told and who benefits uh, when we purchase those products or, or follow that lifestyle, all things to consider. And then when it comes to the emotional stuff, man, that is a, that is a deep lifelong journey. Uh, you know, the past months when I was coping with the loss of my brother and a few other things that happened at the same time, how often I turned to food to comfort me on those lonely nights, man, where I was just in shitsville and just felt so worthless. Like there was nothing ahead for me. Man, was it easy to walk down to Trader Joe's and buy a chocolate lava cake and eat the entire thing. It was wonderful <sighs> until 20 minutes after. And then I was like, what have I done? You know, like, and then I was like, I'll never work as an actor. No one will ever. Like, it was just, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing. So there's some deep digging you've got to do. Yeah. And I, I wish I had like, um, you know, some tangible advice. I just want to say that, um, you know, how you, how can I say this? 
our inner world creates our outer world and our bodies uh, are often uh, a reflection of that. And so it's, um, it's just the deep work you got to do. I, I mean, I don't, I, I want to, before I, I said, I didn't want to ramble and I'm rambling now, but the one thing I want to say is that, um, it's easy to tie your worth as an actor, as an artist to your body in this, uh, in this industry. And, um, I, there's just so many examples where that is just not true. I mean, look at all of the people who are working because they look the way they look and it may not be your ideal, you know, quote unquote image of an actor. You may not look at them and think, oh, that's what an actor looks like. I mean, look at Paul Giamatti. You saw him walking on the street and you didn't know who he was. Would you say, oh, look, there's an actor. So it, it doesn't matter what you look like so long as you own it and you are comfortable with who you are. And that's where that deep work comes in. You know, your body is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be someone out there with, you know, something that you perceive is a better body, you know, something to strive for. So it, at the end of the day, it comes down to, what can I do to love myself more through these feelings of inadequacy and these feelings of shame, these feelings of guilt, the people you associate with and um, the philosophy you develop and practice in regards to how you treat yourself when it comes to your fitness, when it comes to your mobility and sleep and, and mental health. I mean, that's all part of the, the equation. So, wow, that's a lot. I hope I didn't uh, just completely lose half our audience, but I hope that helps Michelle. And anybody out there listening that has thoughts on this, we would love, love, love to hear your input on how um, you might respond to Michelle and, and also how you deal with this in your own world. Uh, because I know that many people listening are nodding their heads and going, yeah, man, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a big can of worms. And so I'm sure people have a lot to a lot to say about it. So reach out, <clears throat> call us. We still have the voicemail number, uh, 2132actors, and our email. Um, and you can, of course, just record your voice right on our website. So um, lots of easy ways to do that. Or, uh, or shoot us an email because um, it's a big conversation and, and not something that can you know, only be tackled by two um, 30-something men. <laughs> Two thirty something white men at that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, uh, hope that helps, Michelle, uh, and uh, for the rest of our listeners, uh, join in the conversation. I just went through all the ways to do that, um, and if there's nothing else, we have part one of Trevor's uh, interview with Katie Von Till, aka Snow White. Katie, thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So we we had a few technical difficulties just now, but we are we are back in full force. And uh, we were talking uh, just before about how you really do kind of have the quintessential actor's career. Not only do you do stage uh, and you sing and you do voiceover and and uh, theater and film and television. I mean, you you kind of do it all. And I, I was just saying to you before, I said, wow, it almost sounds like your your philosophy for your career is just to say yes. And and then you were <laughs> you were like, well, not. not Oh, no, Not quite. No. It's it's more like hustle, hustle. Yeah, that's, that's hustle, hustle, hustle. Create your own projects. Do everything you can that's good. Like if it's a union job and it pays well, absolutely say yes to that. Unless it's something that goes against, um, you know, your morals or something like that. But um, but basically, you know, I spend every day looking for work or trying to create work. So it's always just constantly, what's the next project? What's the next project? What can I be working on? Right. And the reason why I've done a little bit of everything and continue to do a little bit of everything is because our industry is in a constant state of flux and our careers are in a constant state of flux. So I have found that the best way to ensure I can continue to make a living uh, being an actor is to diversify. So that's why I do a little bit of everything. Now, maybe that has not worked to my benefit. Maybe if I had concentrated on one area... Over another, I'd be a superstar in that area. I don't know. But um, I've been able to survive without a day job for a really long time. And I think that's because I do a little bit of everything. Mm. I would say that is a, a clear marker of success to not have to supplement your income with, you know, waiting tables or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but but I think you're doing you're doing it right if you can pay your bills just with acting. And you, you produce as well. You were saying uh, before we had this sort of technical difficulties that uh, you're, you're working on some of your own content. Sure. Everything now is, you know, creating your own content, right? So I produced and um, co-produced and co-wrote the story idea for a pilot and we shot a pilot presentation and we're currently working with a production company of a female A-list celebrity. We are tied to her for a 90-day shopping agreement. So we will see what, what comes of that project, but it's really exciting. I've also uh, produced a feature and acted in that and helped cast that. I've also produced a web series a couple of years ago. Um, I'm constantly trying to think of ways to continue in this business, diversify further in this business, particularly as a woman. Mm. Uh, there are fewer roles for us. It's harder for us to age in this business than it is for men. And I am very cognizant of that. And so I'm trying to position myself for a future in this business. Wow. That is uh, an aspect of your career and your journey that I, I do want to talk about. In fact, you mentioned a few things and I'm like, oh, tell us about this. <laughs> but before we get to all that, I, I want to kind of hear the origin story because um, you're, you're clearly having some success in this industry. But uh, from what I understand, I read a quick article on Refinery29 that was posted on your website. And it, it mentioned that you started out performing at Tokyo Disneyland. Is that right? Oh, well, I'm not sure I started there, but I did work there um, pretty soon after college. I mean, I started doing community theater with my dad when I was a kid. He had coached my brother's little league team. My brother's um, about six years older than I am. And he was looking for a way to bond with his daughter, but I wasn't <laughs> interested in playing sports, nor uh, did I have any athletic prowess. So my dad was looking for some sort of activity that we could do together. And he saw an audition in the paper for a local production of Annie. And so we both auditioned. 
And my dad and I did community theater together for a few years. And that was how I got my start. And then I continued doing shows in school and stuff like that. And then I went to Michigan State University where I studied theater. I was also um, uh, had a cognate in vocal music performance. So I was very involved with the music program there as well. And I continued to do uh, theater both uh, at school and outside of school at the time. I was also a national anthem singer for the NHL and also one team of the NBA. And, uh, and then I moved to New York and started doing theater. I did summer stock. My first, I was a singing waitress on the spirit of New York and New York Harbor. <laughs> um, awesome. That was the worst job in the history of jobs. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but that sounded like it must've been a, <laughs> uh, quite a trip. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. So, you know, I got started with my dad as a kid and I, I sort of knew from very early on that this was what I was going to do for a living in some capacity. My brother is also a professional uh, performer. He's in a heavy metal band called Neurosis um, that's been around for 30 years. My, my dad was a, a folk singer in high school and college. My mom is a, a teaches public speaking. My dad's a, a litigator. So they're, they're very sort of, um, you know, the, the, you know, being in front of people sort of quote unquote performing, although when you're a lawyer or a teacher, not necessarily performing, but the idea that my brother and I would go into the arts was very fostered in my family. So I'm really, really lucky. Wow. I was going to say, what a fantastic dad to say, "Hmm, I want to bond with my daughter. What can we do? Why don't I just go get a role in a community theater production and bring her along? That is really, really cool. Wow. Yeah. Hey, all you dads out there, do that. <laughs> yeah, take note. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sorry, you may have mentioned this, but I don't know if I heard it. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in San Jose, California. So, I, I'm a California native, and uh, my parents still live up there. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's very different from when I grew up there because of the tech boom. Yeah. It's, uh, it was much more of a suburban type of place when I lived there, and it's it's become... Um, sprawling suburbia now and a little bit more urban, uh, you know, San Jose is a much more, much more of a city than it ever was when I was growing up, but it's still home to me. I mean, and our business, I don't think anybody cares if you went to school. They don't. If I had to do it all over again, look, I love my alma mater. It was like going to school in the movies. I mean, a river runs through the middle of campus, ivy covered halls. I had great friends, amazing teachers, and a wonderful experience, but it it didn't give me a leg up in this business. There are a few schools where that that could be true, you know, maybe Juilliard or Yale School of Drama, a couple places where Carnegie Mellon lately these days, where it, it can give you a leg up where you went to school, but not so much. I mean, I certainly know people who went to those schools who are very, very talented, who are no further along as I, than I am or are not even as far along as I am. So if I had to do it all over again, I would have gone to school down here in Los Angeles and would have started to work in the business and then either finish school or not as um, things were taking off or not. Because you can always go back to school, but our business is really youth oriented, really youth focused. And so any, any time wasted outside of this business, um, you can't get back. You can't get those early years back. And it's easier to get an agent when you're young. It's easier to get your foot in the door when you're a talented kid than when you're a talented adult. Hmm. Wow. So if you could do it all over again, you would go to school in LA, but would you also choose the same areas of study? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
but I'm also one of those people who I don't think I learned all that much in school. Truth be told, I'm I'm uh, one of those people that's just been learning my whole life. So it isn't necessarily the world of academia that um, sort of helps my knowledge base, if that makes sense. Mm, I don't know. That yeah. sounds a little weird, but that sounds a little strange. But I, I think somebody could be just where I am and, and know just as much about the subjects that I know things about having never studied them in school, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Not that, that I'm not a proponent for school. Everybody go to school. Everybody stay in school. <laughs> go to school. Yeah. I've always I've always had this sort of theory that that college, especially any sort of secondary education, is more about teaching you how to critically think about things and how to have a curious mind than it is to necessarily retain information. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Bluehost, the best web hosting solution for your WordPress site or whatever kind of site. It powers over 2 million websites worldwide. And guys, Bluehost even powers InsideActing.net and has for some time now. Visit InsideActing.net slash blue to choose your hosting package and get Bluehost's new WordPress-focused onboarding. It's awesome. Uh, you also get a 100% money-back guarantee, award winning U.S.-based phone support, and over $200 in offers from companies like Google and Facebook. It is a no-brainer, and we have had nothing but a wonderful experience with them from top to bottom the entire time we've been hosting InsideActing.net with them. So check it out, InsideActing.net slash blue. Basically, I was, I was at Michigan State. I was in the hallway the chair of the department said, hey, Katie, what are you going to do after graduation? And I said, oh, uh, well, other people are moving to Chicago. I guess I'll just go there. And because Chicago was pretty close to East Lansing, Michigan. And she said, no, no, no. You're really talented. You should go to New York. And I said, OK. So, so that's what I did. Right. Um, with another graduate from there, we packed up a U-Haul. We drove to New York City and I was based there for about four years. But New York is a different kind of town, particularly if you're pursuing theater, which is what I was doing then. So I was always getting jobs elsewhere. So I was always having to sublet my apartment and, um, you know, not live where I where I worked, which was really frustrating. And uh, yeah, so I was based there for four years. I went and did summer stock in New England. I did dinner theater in Florida. I did Tokyo Disneyland. Um, I did children's tours around the Midwest to get my equity card. Um, and I was a singing waitress on the Spirit of New York and New York Harbor and had to sing I'm Proud to Be an American every time we went by the Statue of Liberty. Oh, man. I want to talk about this sort of these four years in New York and all the sort of odd jobs that you ended up doing, but I don't want to keep our listeners um, waiting too much longer because you are the fourth of only four women in history to voice the iconic character of Snow White. Yeah, it was uh, obviously the voice of Snow White is and was because she's deceased at this point, Adriana Casalotti. And so everyone who's come after her has voice matched her. So it was Adriana and then a woman by the name of Mary Kay Bergman. And she uh, is also deceased. And then it was a woman named Carolyn Gardner who um, retired about six years ago. She did the speaking voice. And while she was the speaking voice, she was not a singer. So they had another gal 
do the singing voice while she was the speaking voice. And her name is Melissa Disney. No relation. Um, and then when Carolyn retired from doing the voice, it came to me. So, And I do both the singing and speaking, as did Adriana and Mary Kay. So, um, yeah, I've been doing her voice for, I think, six years now. And, um, you know, when I, when I booked it, the casting director said to me, um, look, you're not Cinderella. You're not going to be in here every week recording stuff. You're not going to buy a house off of this gig. He said, but you're young and you'll get to do it for a long time. And that's really exciting. And he was right. It is really exciting. About three or four times a year, I get to go in and do a talking toy or a video game or something for one of the parks or a commercial or a, a guest spot on shows like Sophia the First, things like that. And it's a it's a, such a wonderful gig to be part of Disney history. And honestly, I... I fell in love with Snow White, strangely enough, at Tokyo Disneyland. They have Snow White's Grotto there, which they also have at Disneyland here, which is um, a fountain that has Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and it also has a wishing well. And she sings, I'm wishing, and the echo comes from the actual well. And it's just, it's so adorable. It's something I fell in love with when I was working there. And when the audition came around, Honestly, I did I did one take and sent it off, and that was good enough to get me a call back. So somewhere deep inside me lives a little snow, I guess. I, I do want to talk about the um, the actual process of, of voicing Snow White. But before we get there, we, we kind of jumped from leaving New York to, to settle in L.A. and then booking Snow White. So what were those first years in L.A. like, and what prompted you to leave New York? T- take us through that phase of your life, if you could. Sure. What prompted me to leave New York is I was um, standing outside the equity building waiting for an equity principal audition, an EPA, as we say. And it was 28 degrees outside and it was uh, six o'clock in the morning. The building was going to open up at eight for a sign in that would begin at nine for an audition that actually would start at 10. And I turned to the girl next to me and I said, hey, would you mind holding my spot? I'm going to go count and see where we are in line. She said, sure. So I go to the front of the line and I count the number of people. And I realize I'm going to be 40th on the alternate list. I'm not even going to get a time slot. And this was not for a Broadway show. This was for regional theater in Vermont. And I thought, I thought I'm freezing. I got to get out of here. This is just inhumane. And a couple of friends of mine were considering moving to Los Angeles at the time. So I came out and visited. They ended up not moving out here. Uh, I ended up auditioning for a 99-seat show and booked it and thought, well, I guess I'll go. Went back to New York, packed up my stuff, came out, uh, told a couple of friends. One friend had a mutual friend from Tokyo Disneyland who was moving out here at the same time. He said, get us an apartment. We can be roommates. And that's what I did. I didn't know anybody but my my friend Tim from Tokyo Disneyland, and I just threw caution to the wind and and came closer to home. I'm always fascinated by this because there are a lot of little things that tend to trip people up when they make a big life change like that. So I'm curious, did you have a chunk of money put away from savings, or was there inheritance, or did you come out of here just 400 bucks in your pocket, or how did that work? Um, I had made a pretty good amount of money working at Tokyo Disneyland because when you're working there, you they put you up. So any amount of money you, you earn, you bank, right? You don't need to, you're not living off of that money because you have a per diem and they pay for your housing. So your salary can be completely banked. 
So uh, I was able to save all of that money. And then right after working there, I got a job um, for six months doing theater in Florida at a place called the Alhambra Dinner Theater. Um, very fancy, not at all. And, um, you know, so I was I was working pretty steadily, um, making money, and I did save that big chunk uh, working at Tokyo Disneyland, which allowed me to move west. Had you thought about moving to LA before that sort of epiphany on the on the sidewalk there in New York? Well, to be honest, I always thought I would live in LA growing up. But people kept saying to me, "Oh, you're going to live in New York. You're going to live in New York," and it just became, "Okay, I guess I'll go." Like the teacher had said to me, and my mom thought I'd live in New York at some time because I was doing so much theater, so much musical theater. And if that's what you want to do with your life, that's the place to be. But I always knew deep in my heart that what I really wanted to do was television and uh, particularly multicam television, which is few and far between these days. But um, to be honest, that's where my my passion lies is multicam TV. So I, I always knew I'd be here. That's so specific, too. I, I love how specific that is. When you got out here, what part of town did you settle in? I settled in Hollywood. I lived on Cahuenga, but right near the Hollywood Bowl, like near Odin, between Franklin and Odin on Cahuenga. So I was right in right in Hollywood, uh, moved into an apartment there and, um, you know, looked around a couple of places. But again, I didn't really know anybody. So it was hard for me to get any advice as far as where to live. I was just sort of looking at um, West Side rentals and seeing going apartment to apartment. I found an apartment that I liked. Um, it was less about the neighborhood and more about the living space. If you could do it again and maybe offer some advice to somebody uh, who maybe was in a similar situation to you, what what might you tell them or tell your, your past self to, to, to look for in that transition? Well, like you said, have some money saved up. The other thing I would say to people is be very, very frugal. Another way I've, I've survived by, by diversifying, but I've also survived because I'm incredibly frugal. I drive a 26-year-old car. I drive a 1991 Mazda Miata. And sure, it's cute and zippy, but let's be real. I, I could have bought a new car any number of times along the way, but I haven't because there's no need. I just need to get from here to there, and I need a car that's easy to drive and easy to park. That's it. That's all you need. Don't get a car lease. Don't buy a car you can't afford. Don't get the best apartment that you can afford. Get the get the worst apartment that you can tolerate for the least <laughs> amount of money. You got to live frugally. That is the key. You know, and if you if you have family who can help you out, um, take it. Take money from family if you can. Um, anybody who's willing to help you out, take it. Take it, take it, take it. And just live really frugally. That is the key. Because if you if you come here and get a car lease and, and get a day job, it becomes, you know, it's often referred to as the golden handcuffs. And you think, well, I can't quit this day job because I have my car payment and I have to pay my rent. And um, then why, why live in L.A.? Why be here if you're not really going to pursue acting? Go somewhere else where the cost of living is less. I'm curious, do you have a favorite frugal hack or a, a thing that you like? If you, I guess let me put it this way. If somebody said, what is the number one money saving thing I can do physically right now with my time, with my kitchen, with my finances? <laughs> what, what would you say is top of the list for frugal hacks, frugal things to, to do to really stretch out your money? Uh, well, for me, it's the driving the old car because it's not just about you don't have a car payment. You're also your car insurance is less. If your yeah. car is not worth very much. So, and um, if you still want to live like a fancy person and be frugal, 
you've got to play the credit card game, which is earning points and miles with your credit card so that you can still travel. I still travel. I can still stay at hotels. And I do most of that stuff for free because I'm not carrying debt. And when I make big purchases, I do it on credit cards where I can get big bonuses, big sign-up bonuses um, for spending. And then I accumulate all those points and miles, and that's how I travel. That's how I go visit my family. That's how I take vacations. That's how I get hotels. Uh, a really good friend of mine named Nina Manny, uh, M-A-N-N-I, teaches a great workshop, actually, about that. She has another one coming up uh, in a week or two, I think, um, about how to sort of do the whole um, – points and miles game. Uh, I also learned quite a bit of that from an actor named Chip Chinnery, who's uh, an actor who's been around a long time. He's He guest starred on every show. He's been on a million commercials. And um, there was a time earlier in his career where things had hit a slow point because he'd done so much. He was a bit overexposed. And so he sort of got into the points and miles game and has all kinds of life hacks about, um, you know, how to get a rebate on something you have to buy for your house, uh, how to get NFL ticket free from your cable company, you know, just all kinds of, all kinds of crazy things. So I, I highly recommend people follow Chip's Money Tips. That's Chip Chinnery. Uh, his, his blog is called Chip's Money Tips. And get in touch with Nina Manny about her um, points and miles workshop. And, and that way you can still have a full life because if you don't have a full life, you're not an interesting person. If you're not an interesting person, you're not a good actor. So it's important to be frugal. Um, again, drive the worst car, live in the worst apartment, but still have wonderful life experiences. Mm. And that's the, way, that's the way I make it work. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, travel hacking and, and the credit card. Uh, yeah, they, they, those. The only way those credit cards make money is they they bank on you being lazy. But if you're not, it's such an easy game to play. I mean, it's just free money there for the taking. You just have to put in 15 more minutes of effort when you sit down in front of your computer to pay your bill. Absolutely. I also use like Ebates to try and get cash back for things, which works really great. I use Honey for coupons. Yes. Um, <laughs> I do. I do it all. Um, the other the other thing I highly recommend to actors is, and this is. Not so much a hack, but the most important thing you can do is take control of your finances. So I have a very detailed spreadsheet where I keep track of every residual check that comes in, every session check that comes in. I, um, I've i learned, particularly the commercials contract for SAG-AFTRA, I know it nearly backwards and forwards. So I know what, what money I should be expecting. I know what should be coming my way. I know what to look for. I, need, I know how to find discrepancies in payment. And I have found over the years from not that many spots, um, like $35,000 in missing money wow. that then the union was able to get for me. So uh, the union or my agent, depending on the situation. Uh, so it's really important that actors know their contracts, know what they are supposed to be paid and keep track of their payments to make sure that they've been pay paid properly and accordingly. Wow. So when you found that money, I'm sorry, I have to stop on this because this is crazy. <laughs> so did you just sort of add up the, the math, the math and looking at your contract and say, hey, wait a second. And then you just sent an email off and somebody said, oh, yeah, you're right. Or how did that work? Well, you file a claim with the union or if it's if it's something simple like, hey, my session fee is late um, or I didn't get a cable payment, but it's clearly running on cable and everybody knows it. I might call my agent and say, hey, you know, this is running on cable, but I haven't received a cable check yet. And she might call the um, payroll company just to spur them along a little bit. Or it might be something as simple as, you know, a session fee that n never comes. And then your agent gets in touch with the 
ad agency and they still don't pay. And so then you file a claim with the union and every for every day they don't pay you, you accumulate damages. So um, once they're notified, they have to pay you. There is, of course, a late fee. But if they have been notified and still don't pay you, you can accrue damages. Um, things like uh, commercials still being broadcast or, or still online past uh, their maximum period of use or past uh, the dates that you were paid for, or simply missing payments. Like, I it first came to my attention because somebody said, "Oh, I saw your commercial on November eleventh uh, or something," and I thought, "Well, my commercial isn't running anymore. It was released a year ago, and that was the very first commercial I ever did. So, my very first commercial I ever did, I realized there was a discrepancy in payment, and I had to file a claim with the union. So, I knew from my very first commercial that things are often um, mispaid for whatever reason. And, um, so I needed to stay on top of it from day one. And that was just sort of chance that 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 happened to me. And some, you know, that somebody saw it and said something to me. So from that moment on, I let people know when I'm in something and I ask them to let me know, uh, where they've seen it. And I keep track and I cross-reference, I keep track, I cross-reference, I use Excel, Excel spreadsheets and I uh, sort sorting is my friend. I get airings reports from a company called Cantar Media, uh, where I can cross-reference. Uh, you know, oh, it aired on this date. Was I paid for that date? Yes, I was. Things like that, just to make sure that I'm paid correctly, because errors happen daily. Wow. <laughs> How much time would you say you invest in in that aspect of organization and keeping track of things every month? Tracking missing money, not that much. Maybe an hour a month, but. Um, it, for, as far as entering stuff and just making sure my own spreadsheet is in, is intact, probably another four or five hours a month, if you have, maybe a little bit more. Because I also, you know, another, ugh, I can't believe I didn't say this. Number one most important thing is collect unemployment. <laughs> if you qualify for unemployment, collect unemployment. Um, so I'm always filling out my unemployment forms. Uh, you can do that online now, which is super easy and wonderful. Um, so, you know, probably a few hours a week I spend on my finances. Yeah. Probably two, two to three hours a week. Mm-hmm. I have to plead ignorance on this cause I've always had a day job, so I haven't had to think about it. Oh but... yeah, sure. You work a, you work, you know, your job and it's done and you, you, your session for that day where let's say you shot an episode of, I don't know, uh, NCIS, right? So when you're done shooting your episode, you go ahead and apply for unemployment. Or if you have an ongoing claim, you certify for benefits and you claim the money that you made and either you're due benefits that week or you're not. And you just keep that train running. That is, I I never, that never occurred to me. Ah, (laughs) I got, ah. I always tell acting jobs, it's just sort of like the icing on the cake of my day job until they start paying, you know, enough money for me to to quit. I never saw it as like, that's my job. And once the job is done, I can collect unemployment to the next one. That's a paradigm shift for me. Wow. Um, Would you expect a doctor to get a different job if he got laid off from his hospital? No. (laughs) Why do we do that to ourselves? That's such a trick. I don't know. Actors, we have this like people pleasing thing. We also have this thing where our jobs are are literally to follow direction. So unless somebody tells us to do something, it's very hard for us to figure out we need to do it. Right. Because it's, it's, I always tell actors, I say, don't feel badly that you don't know this information. If nobody told you, there was no way for you to know. Um, it's, it's just a mindset that, we're, that we've 
been groomed to have. everyone welcome back to the bookends hope you enjoyed part one of uh trev's interview with katie von till i'm super excited to listen to this one haven't done so yet but i will definitely anything you'd like to debrief us on before we jump into picks of the week i just you know my frugal little heart is so happy listening to someone uh, espouse the uh <laughs> the virtues of frugality uh i just I, I love that she brought that up as like her main her main way to sort of make it happen is just to live really mindfully and intentionally and track your money and and not be attached to appearances and and i just it was just wonderful to hear because that's a philosophy i've been sort of fostering in my own life and uh you know it's not about sacrificing things you shouldn't feel like you are you know go ever really going without it's about finding fulfillment in the things that you choose to make investments in so um, I just love that, that Katie shared that. We've talked a lot about spreadsheets. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> what is your pick of the week? Uh, so I'm reading this series of books by this guy named James Howard Kunstler, and I'm really enjoying them. Um, they are books that are set in um, the not-too-distant future, maybe a few decades from now, uh, if that. And they're sort of a post, post-apocalyptic world of, of books. There's four of them in the series. The series is called The World Made by Hand series, and that's also the name of the first book, which I uh, really, really enjoyed. It's called World Made by Hand. And um, in this story, um, it, it's basically after the collapse of the banks and the economy and uh, the just the complete collapse of, of Western society's infrastructure. So the government collapsed. Everything collapses. Basically, there was a big war. A couple bombs went off. You know, dirty bombs went off in different areas around the country. And then, like, everything just stopped. And, like, then there was a flu epidemic that swept through. So basically, these people are living as if they were, like, 17th century peasants. And they're figuring out how to make it work. And these all these age-old human stories and age-old, like, human connection um, rituals and whatnot are, are kind of coming back and being really important in the community. Uh, and there's rival gangs and there's people that have like plantations and slaves. And then there's people who, you know, went off to, you know, war and fighting a war and they're never heard from. It. It's just really interesting. And I'm really interested in like where we're headed as a, as a culture, as a community, as a society, because we're clearly not on a sustainable path. And this, this is sort of a neat look at what could possibly be ahead. It's not the happiest story, but it's also comforting because you see that, that, if in the absence of all these um, creature comforts and all this technology, there's still an essential human experience that's really satisfying and rewarding to be tapped into. And it's just an interesting look at what that might be like. So check it out if you're looking for a good read over the you know the next couple of weeks with the holidays and everything. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, all the books. I'm on the third book right now, and uh, the first one is called "The World Made by Hand." And again, the author's name is James Howard Kunstler, and he's also got a podcast and a, a uh, a blog and all sorts of stuff. I've been checking him out online. So link to that book is on our website and you can kind of connect the dots from there. If you'd like to learn more about him. Sweet. So, uh, my pick of the week, I hinted out last week. Um, and I have not read the, I don't know. Did you read the book, Trevor? I haven't read the book, but I'm, I'm from, I've, I've watched a bunch of videos with him. Yeah. The videos with him and, and, um, uh, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Joel, 
Goldstein, is that his name? Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm breaking, blanking on his name. But uh, 10% Happier, which I talked about in the last episode, uh, is now an app. You can get uh, the app at 10percenthappier.com, which will also be linked on our website. And then there's a book that he wrote, and by he, I am talking specifically about um, Dan Harris, who is slash was a uh, national uh, anch- correspondent, uh, anchor, and he had a uh, panic attack, a nationally televised panic attack, um, and afterwards just realized that he needed to make some changes and started doing some research and discovered uh, meditation. Um, and what's cool about it is it's a very like practical, down-to-earth, fun, and often funny way of, of going about it. And so uh, he has a book, but also in the, in the app, there are a ton of videos that you can watch, some of which are just a few like a minute or two long and, and some that are an hour long uh, with tons of content, um, interviews with all of these um, people who are from all different areas of the mindfulness practice. Um, very cool. I've been watching the videos, going through the courses, very similar to how I started out with Headspace. But I mentioned last week, I do enjoy the flexibility here. And then Trev countered by saying that um, Headspace is kind of exploring some of that, uh, you know, flexibility there. So, um there's something in the app called the mindfulness minute. So essentially trying to remove all barriers uh, or all obstacles or excuses for not uh, meditating. If you have a minute, one minute uh, every day, you can meditate every day. So uh, anyway, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Um, I I really enjoy the approach. I'm thinking, uh, you know, it feels like the next step for me in terms of understanding uh, meditation and awareness. Um, Headspace is what sort of got me uh, really into it because I didn't know what I was doing before. I would I would try meditating, but I didn't understand what I was doing. I would like count uh, or like just I don't know, just uh, silly things that I'd heard along the way. So having like a having some. Um, Loose discipline around the practice has been really supportive, and um, you know I felt like Headspace kind of got me into that world, and now Ten Percent Happier is kind of taking it uh, a step further. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Headspace has been redesigned, and I, I really dig the redesign. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, wherever you get your meditation on, like you're, it's a good thing to be doing. I think that pretty much with so many apps out there, they're all pretty much teaching you one thing, which is to just. Be conscious of the noise in your head and just learn how to observe it and not be attached to, uh, not be attached to it. That's been the biggest thing for me, man. Just like, wow, I create a lot of drama in my head that mm. doesn't, that doesn't exist and never will exist. And I get so wrapped up in it and it's just like, it's just not necessary. And the, the more I practice, the better I get it. Just being like, well, hey, look at that storm brewing. Not, yeah. not me, just a thought I'm having. I don't remember the specific um, inciting incidences or events, but I know that there were at least two um, moments in the last week or two where I could feel myself about to have an emotional response, and I was able to pause and just go, "Huh, that's uh, that's just my brain. That's that's my that's my thought. That's my mind. That that's trying to make that sort of reaction." come out. Okay, cool. Well, I don't have to make that choice. I can make a different choice. So anyway, um, just kind of a very cool, um, uh, thing to, to notice. And, and it only comes with, a you know, a, a consistent practice. So, uh, 10% happier, uh, the app that will, uh, help you, um, 
you know, learn about meditation and start a daily meditation practice. And you can also read the book links to both the app and the book on our website, as well as world made by hand by James Howard Kunstler, uh, an awesome fiction book that, uh, fiction series that Trevor has picked up recently. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we get out of here? Nah, man, let's roll. All right, guys. Today's episode of the podcast was produced and hosted by me, Trevor, and you, AJ. Team IIP also includes Jen Levin, Gadali Gubrick, and Deborah Smith. Visit us online, the interwebs, at insideacting.net to sign up for our weekly email dispatch. Easy for me to say. And listen to all of our episodes. We're also on social media and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you to everyone, all of you listeners who are coming to our party on Monday, the December 11th, who has taken a minute to leave a nice review and show uh, of, of the show on Apple Podcasts. It's, it's a great free way to support what we do. It makes a big difference because it helps other people discover the podcast, too. And, of course, you can directly support the continued production of Inside Acting uh, with a contribution financially. That would uh, go a long way. You can make it a one-time contribution or you can make it an ongoing monthly contribution. Just visit us at InsideActing.net to learn more about that and help us keep the lights on and the episodes coming. And that's it for Episode 298 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, think inside, act outside. Ooh, that's a good one. Think inside, act outside. That's deep. Inside acting is kind of hidden in there. I don't know. I didn't notice until you wrote it down. Who's going to start outside acting? Outside acting? Outside acting podcast? We we better grab that URL. Uh, Right? (laughs) It's It's like too, like... I was going to say trolls, but I don't mean like internet trolls. I mean like actual trolls, like like from a Tolkien novel, trolls. <laughs> like, what? welcome to outside acting. <laughs> I, I, I totally do not follow where you're going, but cool. Okay. It's like, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. It's like, it's like an alternate universe. Parallel universe. That's what I'm saying. We See, in this universe, inside acting is run by two very oh. good-looking handsome charming wonderful kind-hearted compassionate vulnerable men named trevor and aj and then in in this parallel universe outside acting is run by two trolls who are just like mean and evil and trying to you know just take down the um it's not the entertainment industry there it's the um it's the it's the fairy plays uh okay and the I could keep going. Okay. So it's like the upside down. The uh, It is. Exactly. Yeah. It's the upside down. It's outside acting in the upside down. Yes. 